The Eason Book Club on The Pat Kenny Show. Sharing book recommendations with book lovers every month. Now, for this month's Eastern Book Club, we chose The Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead. And we're wondering what our panel thought of the book. Well, they're with me in studio, two-thirds of them at any rate, Brian Kennedy and Catherine Lynch. Good morning. Good, Good morning, morning. Pat. A shout-out to Mary O'Rourke. Oh, we miss you already, we Mary. Miss you, Mary. Sorry you can't be here. <laughs> Mary can't be uh, with us th- today, but she has told us that she really enjoyed the book and yeah. uh, she found it very sad. Yes. So uh, who wants to tell us um, the story? Brian, you go first. Oh, okay. Well, you read it in one sitting. I read it in one Fair sitting yesterday. Yeah. I mean, my goodness me, what an exhausting thing that was. But in a good way, because our, we immediately go on this journey with uh, a slave called Cora uh, in Georgia, of course, in the Deep South, where the last thing you wanted to have was a deep, a deep colour of skin in that part of the world. From the get-go, even page 16, uh, the first thing that stood out to me was, the, uh, they say, there were no laws but the ones rewritten every day. So in other words, you know, the plantation people, they, the, the guys in control of the whole thing, the slaves labour people changed the laws every single day to suit themselves and treated yeah. these people abominably and against all the odds Cora somehow manages she changes her identity later on in the story the but her thing. journey is extraordinary I love this book and I know Catherine yeah I, I di- did love the story obviously and you couldn't but be empathetical but I thought the writing was awful I thought that <laughs> uh, basically it needed a massive edit that it was um, mm-hmm. it wasn't prose it wasn't poetry it was puns it was an awful lot of showing off going on with the writer and uh, I didn't think there was a necessity I'm not familiar for that. with the writer yeah. uh, until this book came along yeah, and it appears that every book that Colson Whitehead writes yeah. is different in style in content in, Oh you is know, that true right That's what okay. I read in one yeah. of the reviews Okay so. Oh, well, I won't be reading any more of them. But <laughs> I did have, obviously love the, the, the story itself. And mm-hmm. it's, so Cora is in this uh, terrible situation yeah. where she's victim of all sorts of... Uh, and she's born into it. We, we, she even visits herself back in the womb with her mother. You know, that she even goes that far back into... She, she is born a slave, you know. And then her mother, Mabel, eventually just has had enough and she actually abandons her. Mabel was a great... Was, and her grandmother was the one who came Ajari, from Africa. Ajari yeah. or something like that. That's she right. was actually sold in Africa and uh, uh, came to America and... And Mabel was her daughter and then Mabel uh, uh, left the plantation and left poor Cora behind. So Cora always had this resentment towards her mother because her mother had found um, freedom. But in her mind, in she her thought. mind, she had thought that. But yeah. the poor mother had gone through the swamps, through the underground. Uh, now this is towards the end, so yeah. we won't give that much. Don't okay, don't, don't give that much yeah. away. Now the, the the way she escapes is uh, because of the arrival of Caesar. That's right. Yeah. Um, and why did Caesar pick up on Cora as his he running reckoned, mate? Shall well, we because say? he thought she was good luck. Because apparently, according to to fable, Mabel had escaped. So he yeah. thought she was a lucky charm. But also in the book, uh, she asks him, uh, Cora actually asks him, why did you pick me, Caesar? Right. And he says, because I knew you would make it. Yeah. And, and you you'd be good bring, luck. And you'd yeah. be good luck, yeah. So... Um, the, the 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 escaping, as it were, uh, means that there is a price on because of what she did, yeah. a price on her head. Yes, that's There's right. The Randall brothers. I mean, the horrific brothers. One more cruel than the other one. I mean, just f- for example, one of the most cruel thing that happens is that they, while they're having this kind of lovely genteel lunch, there's a, a poor slave called Big Anthony who's tried to run away. They caught him. They tied him to a cross and burnt him alive. While and not only that, they cut off his genitals, put them in his mouth, sewed his mouth up, and then so uh, burnt him alive while they were just having a genteel lunch. 
Um, and th- then, of course, there's a slave catcher. Yes, who's slave catcher, on the trail of oh Caesar. Ridgeway, six foot six tall, something like that. He I mean, is he horrible. sounded terrifying. He sounded like the child like catcher in Chitty Chitty really Bang did, Bang. He? He oh, a lot terrible. worse. And his mate with the necklace made of human ears. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. I well, love the, there was a scene where they said that it, when it was eventually fell off his neck, it, it looked like the ground was listening because well, it had suddenly had ears. It just America just was. Just it should be ashamed of itself the way it uh, treated slaves. Now, now, now the the Underground Railroad of yeah. the title. What is that? It's a um, the Underground. It's a, a railroad. It was a secret routes and safe houses yeah. for for those who escaped the plantations. So we meet some lovely people along the way in the book, and we definitely meet the Irish. The Irish we meet along the way, and yeah. we meet Martin, who's uh, he has a safe house. That's right. And we learn that we had huge amount of Irish slaves as well. And uh, but Martin and his wife Ethel are a safe house, and they have a crazy. Is she the daughter of Fiona? That's She's, right. Yeah, crazy right. daughter Fiona, who's um, a telltale as well, a big. Uh, but I love that scene. Where, where Cora has to hide up in the attic yeah. and I got that strong kind of you know that Anne Frank, Anne Frank idea yeah, that she was time. trapped up there for like ten and a half months and finally when she thinks oh everything's okay she's in the bed she's having one last lovely sleep in the bed and that's when she gets discovered and, and carted off again oh my god my heart I was know. breaking now the violence in the book is yes. very explicit and it, is. It, it occurs again and again and again yeah. and the author doesn't shy away from it I and, love and that. writes it rather well I love that because it was very realistic you're left in no uncertain manner what is going on with these people and how cruel these these masters were, you know, just it was they treated them subhumanly. So therefore they thought they could do anything to them. Now, the, yeah. the Underground Railroad itself. Yeah. What was it? Was it a railway? Was it a like a, a well, hidden was, set of stations it, and tracks? I love that you even asked the question because it is at once a metaphor and a reality. It is the arteries out of this part of the country that is so diseased with racism and slavery that it is literally the lifeblood out of that part of the world off to so-called freedom. But as we know, Cora, God love her, she thinks every time she gets to one of them that she's freer but it's you know I she mean, gets these set destinations are unpredictable yeah. when you reach a station yeah. and then there are more tracks where will these tracks where lead will they who go? knows exactly it's nobody knows routes. so so it's a, a metaphor and it's written as a as a real thing i mean it's written as a railway yeah, yeah it is but they it's still a metaphor for that it's medet- like the railway could be the swamp you know and yeah. then somebody gives you a note of yeah. where exactly you're going to go next and that's a secret route into from georgia to you know, and their, their their destination is Canada eventually because they yes. believe that's the 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 land of freedom. Uh, there's uh, uh, like Caesar and Cora just have just the most horrific journey of of meeting people who the bounty hunters. Like she has so much to avoid. That's, it's, she, it's, she's but, so helpless. That's yeah. What but I, my problem is that I didn't cry for her in the book. Yeah. I should have cried for her. I should have cried for. I cried in Roots every time I turned it on. But you, you know, know what? Kid, though, here's but I didn't what I think Colson is empathy. really good at. Yeah. He really was good at, at basically giving us her experience. Cora was outside of herself the whole time. Yeah. She couldn't possibly inhabit her body and her feelings because she was destroyed every day of her life. So I actually thought that was really great writing that he did that. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe I just didn't get that because I wanted to get into the to the head and the heart of Cora mm-hmm. and I didn't because so now, maybe it's more There are extraordinary episodes in it when Cora has to play a black yes. slave reenact that's a right. black sa- slave behind glass oh in a museum Oh my god that that's right. horrific It is so but that is so bizarre that whole section where she this is her day job she gets up uh, she's sleeping in a room with 80 other women she then gets up gets dressed and then has to play an African woman in three different parts of history it, it, I mean it's perverse really and you wonder totally did perverted. those things exist those kind of tableaus as, as travelling shows or whatever where Absolutely. Uh, free slaves ended up in a job playing slaves well and, and not only that then the, the, the double weird 
weirdness of her looking through the little hole in the attic and they have white people blacking up their faces playing stupid playing the, black people yeah. you know that whole kind of thing that happened there was a whole scene where she was looking out there so yeah I'd say it was just that incredible naivety of those people actually thought they were helping black people by doing that it's extraordinary Now we have a, a member of a book club oh, on great. the line uh, Karen Meenan uh, Karen good morning Good morning Pat and Pamela how are you? I'm very well. Now, your uh, book club consists of uh, Gretchen and uh, Deirdre and Sharon and Moira and Roisin and Janice and Laura and Helen and Jane, uh, two Janes, actually, and yourself. And it's called The Goose Book Club. Why? Well, we meet in the goose, um, in the goose pub. But that's why. <laughs> that's a very good reason. Yes, it is. And in fact, we're together uh, for nearly eight years at this stage. And um, we decided... <laughs> They're showing off now. That's it. <laughs> but we we decided that we would meet in a pub because we'd heard uh, so often about book clubs that you have to go to each other's houses and then there's the pressure to clean your house and cook a meal and, and no bleach the toilet. And so we said no. We just we go to the pub and discuss a book and uh, it's our choice. We we go in alpha order. Um, and there's 11 of us so it works out quite neatly that you have a book a month every month um, around the year and so your own personality comes out and you decide which book you want to read and uh, everyone we've only one rule in the book club which is you must have read the book you're going to um, put forward as your book you must have read it yourself because if you haven't read it and then if you don't like it and nobody else likes it we've just yeah. wasted a month <laughs> of a book club <laughs> so, so, so that's, that's you, the only rule <laughs> you have to have read the book that you're recommending for discussion before that's you can recommend one. it <clears throat> yeah. now, now when you say that um people, you know, have to have read the book. You were in a book club at the predecessor of this, which was called the Palace Book Club, which yeah. had fellows as well as uh, yeah. women, and the fellows <laughs> never read the books. No way. Yeah. Yeah. Was and it in the book palace? Club, it was called the Palace Book Club because we met in the Palace Bar. So in town or somewhere else? <laughs> there's a theme going on here, Catherine, isn't there? Oh, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> but the lads never bothered to read the books. Oh, come no. on, lads. Well, no. I read the books, let me tell you. Yeah. No, you see, and that's the other thing about that. We, we're, we're really involved. Um, I suppose the thing that draws us together, we're all from way different backgrounds and, you know, and, and nobody really has a literary degree and nobody's very, good. you know, good <laughs> at English or good at, particularly good at anything, really. But we can fly we to are, knowledge without going to college. <laughs> uh, well, we, two, two of us have gone back to college. Um, uh, Roshan has gone back. She's studying in DCU now. She's doing history and English, believe it or not. And I've gone back to college now and I'm doing drama. So that, they're kind of not even related, but it's just... I suppose the whole thing about the book club and the friendship that we formed through it is that when you choose a book subconsciously or otherwise you're bringing a bit of your own personality to the table and then when you say I really love this book because and other people are looking at you going I hated it why did you like that section? (laughs) (laughs) Well it brings us nicely Karen to your verdict and your club's verdict on uh, this book what did you think of the Underground Railroad? Well, we had such a heated discussion about this book. <laughs> and that they're the books that are usually the best books. Um, yes, and yeah. we've had this conversation before, what makes a good book or a good book club book? And there is a difference because a good book is one that you can just enjoy privately and that's it, you don't want to talk yeah. about it. But a good book club book is when you finish it and you go, oh, I can't wait to talk to the girls about this because, you know, and there's all sorts of reasons because. But in this, um, you know, the, the reactions from the girls, one was that uh, one girl hated the opening section. She mm-hmm. said the first 40 or 50 pages were turgid was her word. And she said uh, <laughs> I she agree. Said, yeah, she said yeah. I couldn't I couldn't understand it. I wish I had a map. I wish I had a cast of characters. I wish I knew. I wish I was a man. 
I wish there was more to tell me and it was too fast and I had to actually get out a pen and start writing down, okay, who are all these people that I'm supposed to be talking about and listening to? And then once the, you know, Cora and Caesar escaped, then she says, okay, it's slowed down and everything starts to become much clearer. Yeah. And then there was the whole That's thing true. as the metaphor for the underground railroad. Yeah. And none of us really knew what that was. I googled it afterwards. And what it is, it was, it's a metaphor. It was like, um, you know, the resistance in, in France that it was just a series of safe houses. But um, I actually listened to an interview by Colson Whitehead afterwards, and he said that when he came up with the idea, first of all, he said, um, when, he, he did, when he discussed it with people, they said, was it like a subway? And he said, no. He says, oh, well, then I'm not interested. So he thought, okay, I'm going to make this story, but I'm going to actually put in a real railroad and move the story along that way, which yeah. is just a very yeah. clever way of moving the story through oh, the state. Now, you give your books marks out of ten. So yes, uh, <laughs> how many ones, twos, threes, fours, fives, six, etc. <laughs> did your members give this book? Yeah, now we call this the score and the doors and Helen Reynolds is the one who looks after this. And, she is a uh, secretary for the scores. We sure do. <laughs> Helen is our super sec. And Helen, uh, keep, you know, and what we do is scores in the doors and they, they go as widely as, you know, sometimes you'd score a book at two and that's, you who know. Who scored this the highest in your club? Well, Gretchen is usually a really pretty high scorer. Uh-huh. And, Gretchen uh, sounds really intelligent. Gretchen <laughs> is really, Gretchen the midwife and she's totally intelligent. <laughs> and a very safe heart, pair of hands, it has to be said. And a good singer too, she's in a choir. Oh, very so, good. Oh my God. Yeah, very talented she's Gretchen. She's all around her. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so anyway, the overall score for this book was a high seven. Yeah, I very would agree with that. All right. Jed, that's your score too, Brian. Absolutely Ryan. my oh, score. Oh, well, I would seven. go for a seven, yeah. yeah. But I suppose oh. there have been tens in the last few books. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, look, uh, thank you very much, Karen, for that. And uh, give our fondest regards to all the members of your drinking... Uh, sorry, your book club. Fraudian slip. All right. Thanks, thanks, Emil. All the best. <laughs> well, we want to let you know what Eason are recommending for our, our November book club. And, Brian, it'll be your turn to pick out okay. the next book. Uh, we'll give you the weekend to think it over. Lovely, and thank we'll you. Uh, announce them. The I'm exhausted after on this one, so I'm glad of the. This weekend. was all for a Winfrey's book club as well, so we're up there with the book clubs of the world. Very good. <laughs> um, the the first one is I read the news today. Oh boy, by Paul Howard. Now you recognise familiar that, that lyric. The A Day in the Life of the yeah, Beatles. Indeed. Um, few people rode the popular wave of the '60s quite like a man called. Tara Brown. He was one of swinging London's most popular faces. He lived fast, died young, and was immortalised forever in the opening lines of A Day in the Life wow. uh, that some people regard as the Beatles' finest songs. Uh, the finest song. The book tells the extraordinary story of this young Irishman who epitomised the spirit of the times. Racing car driver, Vogue model, friend of the Rolling Stones, wow. style icon, son of a peer, heir to a Guinness fortune, and the man who allegedly turned Paul McCartney onto LSD. Well. So, that's Paul Howard, uh, his book. Uh, Days Without End by Sebastian Barry. Thomas McNulty, aged barely 17 and having fled the Great Famine in Ireland, signs up for the US Army in the 1850s uh, with his brother-in-arms, John Cole. Uh, Thomas goes on to fight in the Indian Wars and ultimately the Civil War. The men find these days to be vivid and alive despite the horrors they see and are complicit in. The next one is The Twelve Apostles by Tim Pat Coogan. We had Tim Pat on the programme talking Love about Tim this. Pat. It tells yeah. the story story of Michael Collins, intelligence chief of the Irish Republican Army and the elite squad he created, whose role was, as we know, to assassinate British agents and undercover police. The so-called Twelve Apostles created violent mayhem, culminating in the events of Bloody Sunday in November of 1920.
Who got by uh, Marie Turel Soderberg, or Soderberg, as they tend to say in Sweden, uh, Danish <laughs> actress and uh, Huga aficionado. Uh, she travelled the length and breadth of Denmark to create the perfect guide to cooking, decorating, entertaining, and to try to capture what Huga really means. So, Brian, uh, you've got the weekend. I think I'm going to need the weekend after all that. <laughs> all Do you right. need a hygge? <laughs> well, look, thank you uh, both uh, very much. And once again, we send our, our green, love to Mary O'Rourke. To, love you, Mary. Love to Mary O'Rourke. The Eason Book Club on the Pat Kenny Show, sharing book recommendations with book lovers every month.